Hello, welcome to York Street. We hope that this sermon will be an inspiring and impactful one, just what you need at this time. For any of our sermon-based studies, please head to our website at www.yorkstreet.com.au. So grab a cuppa, grab your notebook, whatever you need, and we hope that you enjoy the sermon. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These are the mind-blowing, countercultural, subversive, life-changing words of Jesus, spoken to the people on that hill that day, as recorded in Matthew chapter 5. The desperately poor, the weak, the lowly, the needy, the mistreated, the beaten down, the crushed, the oppressed the powerless, the spiritual zeros, those who from a human point of view in that culture were thought to be the furthest away from God's blessing. It was a moment that Jesus turned the world on its head and he challenged the dominant systems of society and radically redefined who is blessed around the least likely candidates. It was a moment of surprise that reframed everything. And he declared that the kingdom of God was here and that it was being offered to them and that they had a place in the family of God. It was both a proclamation of the gospel and also a teaching about what the kingdom of God is like. I think sometimes we can feel that our circumstances or our identity or our previous choices exclude us from a blessed life. But the great change that Jesus brought with these strange blessings was the availability of the kingdom of God to everyone. So whatever your story, whatever your struggle, wherever you find yourself, this is available to you. The kingdom is his and all are welcome. We're in our eighth and our final week of the Beatitudes. Today's is going to be a confronting one. So let's pray and prepare our hearts before we do this. Loving God, we thank you for this precious time together today. And God, as we look at this final beatitude, which can be a little bit unnerving, I want to just take authority over fear today in Jesus' name. Fear is not from you, God, and it has no place in the lives of the people in this room or those online. And we just pray your protection over our hearts and our minds today. Would you help us to be alert to you? Would you help us to be really wanting to know what you want to say to each of us today? Help us to not be distracted by the stuff that's happening around us right now or in our lives. Let us not be slumbering as we sit here. But God, would you help each of us to lean into you today? In Jesus' name, amen. So let's do it. Matthew 5, verses 10 to 12 says, 
Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the final beatitude. Have you noticed that this one is a bit longer than the others? That Jesus actually expands on this issue, whereas he didn't do that to the other beatitudes. I reckon we should be curious about that. Jesus is making very clear here that he's talking about those who are persecuted because of what? Because of because of righteousness. And the way Jesus is using the word righteousness here is in regard to right-relatedness, which Tim spoke about a number of weeks ago. Right-relatedness with God, right-relatedness with ourselves, with one another, and with the earth. He also goes on to say, just so we don't miss it, because of me. So this beatitude is about being persecuted for his sake. It's not about being persecuted for being obnoxious or tactless or mean or condemning or short-tempered or grumpy or quick to find fault in everyone else or lacking wisdom or being overzealous or self-righteous. If you're a Christian and you're doing any of those things, you're just being a yucky person and a lousy representative of Jesus and you need to stop it. What we're talking about here is suffering persecution when we walk in a way that values righteousness, lives righteousness, proclaims righteousness, and operates in righteousness. And when we do that, we can expect to experience hostility from the world. Persecution in this sense is any form of hostility experienced as a result of following Jesus. While every single person in this world will experience suffering in life, just part of being human. Jesus was completely transparent with us in suggesting that difficulties will come to those who choose to follow his way of life. That not everyone is going to be pleased with those who stand up and say, I'm a follower of Jesus. In fact, Jesus' rather odd way of recruiting followers was to say, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And in John 15, 10, he says, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. In 2 Timothy 3, 12, the apostle Paul writes, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If we're living in the way that God invites us to live and we're not compromising, we will be persecuted. It's going to look different for the hundreds of millions of believers worldwide who face persecution every day, but it's part of the package of following Jesus. So why persecution? If you remember back to week one, we saw in Matthew chapter four that Jesus came proclaiming that the kingdom of God was here. That really meant that darkness had been invaded. God's kingdom exposes sin and darkness. And when we're passionately living and proclaiming righteousness, it's going to cost those who seek to gain money and power and influence in sinful ways. 
and that's not going to be popular with them. Also, Jesus came to deal with sin, but in order to be saved, we have to realize that we're lost in the first place and in need of a savior. So many people these days don't think they're lost, and they simply believe that they're good enough to get to heaven without Jesus. And when we say the kinds of things that Jesus said, in this period of time in human history, some of them aren't going to land very well. Think about John 14, 6, for example, where it says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one can come to God or eternal life except through him. Words like that these days can be seen by some as narrow-minded and controversial and hostile and hateful. But we must not betray our allegiance to Jesus by shrinking back from what is true in our actions, in our lifestyles and in our words. Every nation, every person deserves to know God's word and the truth of what it says and have the opportunity to be forgiven and set free and transformed. So we need to stand up for what we believe and not be ashamed of it to have both a deep desire and resolve to honour the Lord with our lives, to boldly live in partnership with him. Have you ever felt anything negative because people know that you're a Christian? Open Doors is an organisation that supports the persecuted church around the world. I want to encourage you to have a look at their website sometime. You can see the details on the screen. And I want to encourage you to actually spend some decent time in it. Read the stories. Develop a heart for these people. As it turns out, today is actually the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. I didn't know that until yesterday. But isn't it just like God to line things up like that, that we would be speaking about persecution today? I love that. I wonder if you could name the top five most dangerous countries to be a Christian in at the moment. They're places where faith in Jesus is so dangerous that it's even hidden from spouses and children. They're places where Christians are regarded as high-value targets, where persecution is violent and intense, where believers may be disowned or ostracized by their families and their communities for converting to Christianity, which leaves them jobless and homeless and alone. Or forcibly sectioned in a psychiatric hospital because conversion is actually regarded to be a sign of insanity. Or arrested, interrogated, tortured, imprisoned, even killed. In one of those countries, Young female converts are abducted, forcibly married to extremists, or delivered to human trafficking groups to be forced into heavy labour or prostitution. They're countries where believers who are courageous enough to share their faith with somebody else will most probably be reported and arrested and perhaps face violent punishment. They're countries where believers face immense pressure to renounce their faith by both their families and their governments. This is a mix of the reality for our brothers and sisters in Christ in those countries right now. 
And yet in Matthew 5.10, we see Jesus say on the hill that day, blessed are the persecuted. How can the words blessed and persecuted appear in the same sentence? Like they just don't seem to belong together. But if we remember that word makarios, that Greek word for blessed and what it means here in this context of the Beatitudes, it's like Jesus is seeing them and saying, there it is, congratulations, right on, way to go, you guys who are being persecuted for my name's sake. You are blessed and the kingdom of heaven is yours. If we were to summarize the kind of life that Jesus lived and taught, we could say it was a way of radical love. He was this gritty, earthy guy who was out there with the poor and the sick and the sinners. He spent time with the nobodies who lived on the fringes of society and he loved them. He stood up against injustice and hypocrisy and he poured himself out. And if we as his apprentices follow through far enough with radical love, we will be misunderstood and made fun of, falsely accused, mistreated, and experience hostility. Radical love is costly. It involves suffering. It means doing hard things because they are good and they are right. We don't tend to experience hardcore persecution in Australia for following Jesus. I often think that we are more at risk of our own apathy. But have you noticed that the tide is changing? Our country isn't exactly standing up and applauding the Christian faith right now. We're seeing increasing hostility towards Christianity. There seems to be a belief that you and I and what we believe and what we value and how we live is a barrier to inevitable progress. It's not easy being a Christian in this day and age, even in Australia. Far easier to go with the flow of culture, to blend in with the crowd and never offend anyone. We live in divided times, but Jesus lived in divided times too. And he modelled how to love people who were so very different from him. And he calls us to do the same. And it's crucial that we become the people of faith and action and love and compassion that he's called us to be. Radical love, that love that Jesus demonstrated, invites us to endure, to keep doing good no matter the cost. To believe that right action is more important than any opposition we may face. Throughout history, people have endured violence and arrest and imprisonment and even death for standing up for what is right. We tend to see these individuals as exceptional examples of goodness and sacrifice and surrender. But isn't this the way that we're all invited to live? A couple of years ago, a friend of mine said, I don't think Jesus is as interested in my Western comfort as I am. Those words have stuck in my mind. I don't want to scare you today, but Jesus gave us some clues as to what to expect. And he made clear that when we align ourselves with him, we will have issues. We will face some stuff. We're going to go through some rough periods because of that alignment. So here's some things that I would love to remind you of today. Firstly, we can be confident that we are here for such a time as this. 
The Bible says that you and I have been uniquely created by God. Read Psalm 139 if you don't know it. It's amazing. And in Acts 17, we read that the boundaries of our habitation and the times in which we live were set by God so that men would seek him and find him. It's not a mistake that you are here in this time in history. Secondly, being persecuted by the world reminds us that this world is not our permanent home. We're members of God's kingdom and his family. And there is no persecution that can ever take away that the future that Jesus has for us. And therefore, we can choose to minimize the importance of this experience in this world because it doesn't matter in the light of eternity. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 to 18 says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Third, we're not alone in this. Countless followers of Jesus have endured insults and aggression for their faith for centuries. And their steadfast examples let us know that we can endure and that perseverance, no matter how difficult, is worth the struggle. And whatever comes your way, Jesus will be with you. And fourth, we're on the winning team. The devil cannot win. The Bible says in Matthew 16 that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. Think about it for a moment. Gates are defensive, not offensive weapons. It's darkness that's on its heels. It's evil that's in trouble and being assaulted by the good news of the gospel. And history shows us again and again and again and again that when the church of Jesus is persecuted, it always grows. So I want to suggest today that instead of wondering if or when persecution will come, we would be wise to consider how we'll respond to it when it does. When we look at the life of the Apostle Peter, we see a man who both crumbled under the pressure of persecution and persevered in his faith. And his example shows us how to endure and also where to find grace when we fail. These are Peter's words found in 1 Peter 3, verses 14 to 17, really after he had become a pillar of the church. He was encouraging the church to be steadfast. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. There's a number of ways that we can be prepared to respond well to persecution. One of them is to learn how to worship and to practice it now. Praise is a weapon. And when persecution comes, we can choose to respond to it in fear or in anger, or we can resolve to worship and amplify the values of God's kingdom. 
Bill and Benny Johnson in their book, Rejoice Into Joy, suggest that rejoicing and prayer and thanksgiving are activities that draw our focus to heaven so that we can agree with what is true no matter what we feel or perceive with our physical senses and emotions. And that these three things need to be part of our daily lifestyles. And here's why. They write. In the midst of crisis and difficulty, it's usually hard, if not impossible, to sit down and reason out how we should respond. Difficulty always has a way of exposing to the degree to which our lives and minds have been truly transformed by a heavenly perspective for certain responses to be habitual. The things we practice as a lifestyle equip us for difficulties. Be prepared, church. Is rejoicing and prayer and thanksgiving part of your daily life so that when persecution comes, your habitual response is to worship? Are your roots deep enough to be able to withstand the storms? This recent COVID season may have exposed some shaky or some shallow places for you. Take note of them. Do you know scripture? If your Bible or your phone was taken away from you? Do you have scripture hidden in your heart? Have you memorized it so that nobody can ever take that away from you? Do you know Jesus so well and so intimately that his voice matters above all others? If you don't, get to know him. He's waiting there for you. And are you in close community with other Christians who will spur you on no matter what comes? And I mean the kinds of Christians who are all in and ready to do whatever it takes. Those who are willing to do whatever is possible to then watch God do the impossible. Be prepared. Persecution will come. Jesus has guaranteed it. If you brought a friend along with you to church today, you might be thinking, "Ah, Andrea, Did you really have to say that today? Like, couldn't it have been another week? Why would anyone want to follow Jesus after hearing any of that? Well, if something is worth living for, it's also worth dying for. The Christian life isn't just about the good things that God provides. It's also about the testimony that we have in this world. And we need to stand up to be God's people God can accomplish more with a surrendered life than we can ever imagine. The message paraphrase of this final beatitude reads, you're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even. For though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds. And know that you're in good company. My prophets and my witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. Friends, may we be awake and prepared and ready to stand up and be counted. This beatitude invites us to resist evil and embrace suffering and live fearlessly with graciousness and kindness and courage and hope and to walk in that way of radical love and surrender, to commit to doing good no matter the cost 
and to resolve to always honour the Lord with our lives. And when we find ourselves in a place of persecution, to remember that ours is the kingdom and great is our reward in heaven and that we belong to a long line of men and women who have endured and ultimately been counted victorious. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So let's land this series. Spiritual formation is a lifelong journey to becoming more like Christ. And even though these beatitudes are not a list of virtues to attain or things that we have to be or do to be a Christian, they will still become like a remodeling of our lives. Jesus meets us where we are, that's grace. But he also doesn't leave us where we are, that's also grace. And slowly over many years as we spend time in his presence, he does an inner work in us, a renovation of our hearts and our minds and our identities. In week two, I pointed out to you the graphics of the stained glass windows, and I encourage you to think about each of these blessings not as separate entities, but as part of a bigger picture, and that you can actually view each one in the light of all the others. We initially come to God poor in spirit, That's where we started, week one, blessed are the poor in spirit. When we have nothing to bring other than the words and the posture, God, I need you. And we experience his mercy. And we mourn over our own sinfulness and grieve over the pain and the heartbreak of the world. And Jesus says that we're blessed when we're paying attention and we're vulnerable enough to see and feel the sadness of the world that we're in rather than distracting ourselves from it. And that we are so bothered by tragedy and evil and broken relationships that we allow it to create a longing in us, a hunger and a thirst for right relatedness to be restored. And we ache for change. And the compassion of Jesus that we see in the New Testament begins to develop in us. And when you and I come into relationship with Jesus and we understand our need for mercy and experience his mercy ourselves, over time, we become people who will extend mercy. And when we properly comprehend the mercy of God, we will be quick to give it away to those we encounter. And we care about seeing God and knowing him intimately and personally and being fully surrendered to him, unveiled and undivided. That point of purity in heart, where we're honest with ourselves and with God and with others. Because we know that when we step out of the shadows and into the light, light transforms everything it touches. It reveals, it heals, it purifies. And as we seek to cultivate the heart of Jesus from this place, we become peacemakers. We naturally carry the peace of Jesus with us wherever we go. And we find ourselves noticing people in conflict. And we may even insert ourselves into that to try and bring about reconciliation. And when persecution comes, and this life-changing faith, this relationship with our Creator and our Redeemer means more to us than the resistance we face, we know we can rejoice. Because in each moment that we choose radical love, We join the lineage of those who have gone before us, who have lived from the hope that love is greater than fear. It's our perspective on life and eternity that means that we can rejoice. 
So in the end, these blessings do motivate us to do something. But not because Jesus says, do this so you can be blessed, because that's not the gospel. But because before you even looked for blessing, he was right there in front of you as he was on the hill that day, coming with the good news that the kingdom of God belongs to you. That's all of it. Both the blessings we experience now and our future hope for eternity. So both the now and the not yet of the kingdom. God's kingdom feels a bit like an upside-down kingdom that runs in stark contrast to what our culture at this time in history values. But maybe what first seems like an upside-down way of living is actually the right side up. The real kingdom, the better thing, the more beautiful thing. Jesus claimed that he understood the true nature of reality. And his invitation to us was to rethink and reimagine our whole lives, to see in a new way. So to finish up today, we're going to spend some time taking communion together. And I want to share some thoughts of Tim Mackey with you. And I invite you to look up at the picture that's on the screen while I do that. Going back to the stained glass window, each part contributing to the whole picture. And when you look at them all together, you realize that they fit into a beautiful portrait. It's a portrait of Jesus. This is one artist's representation. Jesus was someone who came from poor, insignificant circumstances. He mourned and he grieved over the state of this world. He was extremely important, but he didn't think himself as important. He longed to see God's world set right, and he showed small acts of mercy to hurting individuals. He showed pure devotion for the cause of his kingdom, and he inserted himself into dangerous situations between people who hated each other, and he was persecuted and in fact, killed for it. Can you see it? Has it dropped for you yet? Jesus was the perfect embodiment of these blessings and beatitudes, all eight of them. And today as we take communion, I invite you to remember and celebrate and be filled with gratitude for the loving, accepting, affirming presence of Jesus Christ. This gift that is so amazing. All we have to do is come to him as we are and accept the gift. The gift of life, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of right relationship with God. This, this gift that Jesus' death and resurrection bought for us. So I want to invite you to come and collect the communion emblems. There's a couple of tables at the front. There's one at the back. Take a cup of biscuit, which reminds us of the body of Jesus broken for us. A cup of juice, which reminds us of the blood of Jesus shed for us. You can eat the biscuit in your own time. But let's drink the juice together as a sign of unity, as a church of Jesus Christ today.
Father, we thank you for your life-changing gift of forgiveness and the welcome that you extend to each one of us. We thank you for these simple emblems. We thank you for this time of communion each week to remind us of the price that was paid for each of us. We're so grateful. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's drink together as a church. The K-teams will pop around to get your cups. to the end of our eight weeks in the Beatitudes. In week one, I said that if we hear these Beatitudes right, they have the potential to completely turn upside down our view of ourselves, our view of others, and our view of God. So what stands out to you most from these eight weeks? Have a think about it. I want to encourage you to pay attention to what the Lord is bringing into the foreground of your journey. What do you see? And to be curious as to why that might be the case. Let's pray as we wrap this up. Loving God, at the beginning of this series, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us. And I invited you to open our eyes, soften our hearts, give us new, new, new insights, and to transform us. And we thank you that you have been at work. We thank you for what you've shown us. We thank you for how you've moved us. And would you help us to not forget this? Would these treasures not be able to be snatched from us? But rather, would you help us to always remember that these Beatitudes are an invitation to set our minds and our hearts on things above? And a reminder of the kingdom, God's kingdom, that we're a part of. And Father, as we've touched just briefly on persecution today, even though we may be vulnerable to fear, I pray that we will never let fear drive our lives. Help us to be courageous. Help us to be prepared. Help us to choose that way of radical love and surrender no matter the cost. And when we're faced with persecution, would you give us the resolve to worship you in the midst of it so that you will get the glory? And Father, we know that there are Christians all over the world today facing that hardcore persecution that we just don't even understand. We want to pray for them, and particularly our brothers and sisters in Christ in those top five countries today. Afghanistan, 
North Korea, Somalia, Libya, and Yemen. Father, would you strengthen them? Would you embolden them? Would you encourage them and hold them up? God, would you keep them steadfast in their faith and their belief and their hope? And we know that there will come a day when all will bow before you and that the faithful followers of Jesus will be standing face to face with him alongside all of those heroes of the faith. And we want to declare today that you are worthy and that you will reign forever. We want to shout your praise today. In Jesus' name. If you would like prayer or to find our sermon-based studies, please head to our website or check the description below for a link. If you enjoyed the video, feel free to share the video, like, subscribe, and hit the bell icon for updates of when we release new videos. Remember, life can be tough, so let's do it together.